It's almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Five-star final, JCM Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer. Sometimes Joe Patrick and I just run the game dressed up soccer all the time is over there. And Joe, aren't we all just in some way snakes roasting in the sun? <laughs> yes, yes. We were just talking about this. I am so scared. I'm so scared for this next hour or so. It's going to be an interesting <laughs> exercise. By the way, I did we're not ready. really even watch much of the game. I was actually enjoying my life seeing fireworks mm. and really, you know, enriching mm. my spirit. Um, but I do hate myself. So I did watch it later. Nice. Did you? That's, wow. That's extreme bravery and, and heroism on your part. I went to bed. I felt pretty confident after uh, 2-0 that things were going to be uh, just about the same when I woke up. And they were. And they were. I also <laughs> had to get up at like 4.30 to run a race. But that's was. Oh, that's point. right. What do you run yeah. at? What, what was your kind of final? Give us your the peach tree. It's damn early. Yeah. I know that for sure. Shoot, man. I had to wake up at 4 30, go up a Marta, all that kind of thing. No, but like what but, what time did you run it in? Uh 53 minutes. It's about 8 30 per mile, I think, which is not which is not phenomenal for me. Mm. I wanted more. I wanted better, but don't we all? Don't we all? I did, I finished better than if the guy who won the race ran it twice though and that was a good goal for me because the guy who won it ran it in like 28 minutes and so he didn't double me up i would not have nice. been lapped that 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 makes me happy can i share happy. can i share a funny story kind of relevant to this Please, I, let's, I, let's get all the light-hearted like b story shit yes, out of the way yes. before we get into the dark like I, bojack I, i've run an a story i've run one of these kinds of races it was a 5k just like a like a real fun like 5k it was called like the big 10 5k or something or the big maybe it was a no it wasn't the 10k anyway it was like up in chicago and i was up there because my friend lives there and i didn't plan on running it but his sister who also lived in chicago was like hey i was gonna run it with my fiance but uh he he can't do it anymore so would you like to take his place i said sure that would be fun because i think i was up there it was like on a friday and my buddy was still working so and i'm friends with his sister anyway so anyway i go and take his, the the fiance's spot the fiance had filled out the paperwork wrong and wrote and basically wrote down that he could run like a four minute mile so i was number six <laughs> that was my, my my number and so like and then i'm like okay well obviously i'm just like not gonna go with that heat i'm just gonna like lurk around with her and like you know run with her and everyone was like giving me looks like no one actually thought i was fast because obviously i'm really fat and out of shape so uh it was just like really funny everybody was just giving me weird looks incredible yeah. for, for reference for this one i was like number 7587 <laughs> yeah. you know so there we go there we go is a hell of a thing yeah yeah <laughs> well um fortunately uh People had a really high expectations for Joe there, but but our expectations are quickly, quickly diminishing <laughs> for Atlanta United. They lose three nothing in this one uh, to Chicago, who is a better soccer team than I think most people realize. The, the underlying numbers are way better than people realize. Mm. Not a team you should lose three nothing to, though. Yeah. Not like that. Yeah, not like that. It was they barely put up a fight. Everything was rough. And, and yeah, I, I guess 
I guess well, sports time was that time. Sports, sports prime game time. Yeah. I think that's it. That was I think it, that's yeah, the whole that's, thing. That's right? <laughs> Whatever. No, um, it did seem like there were some people who people were optimistic about Machop Chol. I think people had some questions about that, and I think that's fair. But I was actually just on the radio talking about this on 92.9 before we started here, and we were just kind of talking about what Atlanta United's prospects are really for this season, and. Obviously, my expectations have totally changed from where they were, you know, a couple months ago. I'm sure yours have also just based on what we've seen. And for me, really, what I want, I what I hope the team gets out of this, what this next month while players are missing on international duty and stuff is just like evaluating what you have, especially in terms of these young players. So I really hope Machop Chol gets time. That's why we've kind of been both been, you know wanting Jackson Conway to get time over Kubo Torres because you just want to know what you have. And um, and hopefully we can get some more information and answers to that kind of thing over this next month. But it's going to be ugly, man. It's going to be really uh, not very fun to watch, I think. I think people were excited about Machop because he ran. Breath of fresh and air. Sometimes, yeah, yeah it, it, that's just it. That's the whole thing. Like you ran. And to give people credit, sometimes we talk about how hard soccer is. And yes, it's a very hard sport. It's a tough sport. People kind of underrate how tough it is, right? But sometimes you just need to run at somebody. <laughs> yeah. That can literally be the whole thing. Like you go back and you look at right now, even with the Galaxy and what they've done to, to help create space for Chicharito, sometimes using a second striker, letting the wingers create space and everything like that. They are getting it behind and that is what is helping create space for a striker like Chicharito to have what now 11 goals, 10 goals already in this season. And it's because they're making runs in behind. It's how Ethan Zubak is earning a paycheck, even though he's just Ethan Zubak, honestly, <laughs> you know, yeah. he makes those runs. And like, if Machop is going to be the guy to do that, great. Let, let's put him out there because we talk about the pace of Jake and the pace of um, Jurgen Dom as well, but they aren't really guys who I necessarily consider Folks who, who like to run in behind, they like to dribble. Mm -hmm. They like to get past people, right? But mm -hmm. I'm not sure they ever really make those runs off the ball that you need to open up space. And I would continue to go back to this team spends so much energy defensively chasing guys around uh. that it becomes so much harder, not just physically, but also just like emotionally and mentally to make those off the ball runs that so often you don't get rewarded for, but you might open up space for somebody else. And so to do that selfless thing, you really kind of need the spirit to be able to do it. And I think that a lot of these people's spirits are crushed right now, as mine is. No, um, I mm. just think that it makes it all the more harder to do that when you're physically exhausted from, you know, chasing guys around. And I, you know, it's just so frustrating to watch again when I was watching the game on the rewatch today. It's just you see more of it. You know, you see uh, there was the, on the one goal. Mo Adams gets beat. I think it was the first goal that was scored. Mo Adams gets beat and Barco is there and could theoretically come to recover. But then he would leave his man. And so he doesn't do it. And the guy just dribbles right past them. Uh, and then I think Anton walks later took kind of took responsibility saying that he could have stepped up and stopped it. But I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, the way that this team is functioning right now leaves so little room for error. And, um, and it makes it so much harder to be effective on the offensive end too. So that's, I think all those things, you know, when you put all that together in a pot and mix it up, it makes for a really not great product to watch. We've got a whole bunch of questions coming about all of this in the question segment. We have kind of lost the plot a little bit, so we'll get back to the beginning of the show, I guess, and how we normally do things. Yeah, we just kind of ran right into it, didn't we? Go, yeah, exactly, exactly. We, God, do Crash we really want to get over that fast? I think so. 
Housekeeping stuff real quick, though. Go ahead and check out the Patreon if you haven't already. Patreon.com slash five strike final. New stuff coming to you all the time. Daily sort of kind of episodes coming to you. Uh, news updates, interviews with folks like our latest one with Jack Collison, the new manager of the twos, who was phenomenal, even though he was on a bus on I-20 heading towards Birmingham at the time. Did a great job with us. Uh, really, really likable guy. We enjoy talking to Collison a lot and potentially there. did we break news on that at the end of that podcast maybe we did we did he said he said think, to prepare ourselves for some it. surprises yeah which uh, I love yeah, surprises right. so yeah, we'll, especially, we'll with, especially with this team right now it's like any surprise got to be <laughs> good right exactly exactly even if it is just maybe a potential homegrown or something like that whatever yeah. it could possibly mean with the twos right yeah. um with other stuff as well mls assist joined us we're gonna have i think felipe on later yes. in the week felipe as this well week. on the patreon Talk about the general state of the team and get some fresh perspectives on it, that it's not just me and Joe. Uh, thanks to Kurt Castle for the intro and thanks to you guys for staying with us through business time. It's business time, Joe, Patrick, and not a whole lot of news to get to, but we do need to remind everyone that everyone else is gone. There's no yeah. one here at this office. The, all the cubicles are empty <laughs> yeah. and it's weird and quiet. And all you can hear is your breathing and the clacking of your lone computer. Uh, because Brad Gazan, George Bellow, Miles Robinson, all gone to the Gold Cup. And now Ezequiel Barco off to the Olympics with Argentina. That and a whole bunch of injuries. Joe Patrick, who's left? I don't know. There's not many players. And, you know, I was curious as to whether Atlanta United, there are so many players missing, whether the team would actually be eligible to sign some of these kind of uh, medical hardship contracts, whatever they're called, the four day ones that Rocco Rios Novo signed earlier this year when uh, Brad Guzan was unavailable. Um, I got in touch with the team and the, the team told me that according to what they know, that um, you have to be down to 14 field players or less, or maybe it's under 14 field players. So either one of those is right. Um, at least that was the former rule. I don't know if things have changed since COVID and all that. And maybe that's something I should have prepared for before this podcast, but um, potentially, I mean, Atlanta United is missing so many players. You could potentially see that happen, honestly. And I mean, they're on a they would have a short bench and everything. But um, that's how that's how threadbare it is. And, you know, we're going to see more Tyler Wolf playing in central midfield and more, you know, of these young homegrown players who haven't really seen much game time get time. So at least we're going to see some of them. But, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know, not the best picture. I do want to add to this as well. We're just understanding this is going on right now as media availability goes on while we're doing this show because <laughs> oh, we yeah. can only record it right now. Oops. Uh, Felipe reporting, not reporting. He just got told this in the press conference. I'm not giving him that much credit. Come on, yeah, guys. He's got to earn that. He usually does. Um, Joseph Martinez has not joined full contact training Sweet. yet. So highly doubtful he'll be ready for Thursday's game against a good Nashville team. So there you go. We, we were going to so say, scared. hey, at least Joseph is back. He's not. I mean, he's here, but he's not like I feel back, like back. I feel like there's no way Kubo Torres is going to be fit enough to start again on Thursday. You know, like, it's it's not, just like I mean, it, it, you give him like two weeks of rest and he's not. It, 
Yeah, whatever. You know, yeah, it, I right. mean, it, Gabriel Hines, it too, I would say to his credit, actually didn't push a guy like Santiago Sosa, who he said just like what had not recovered enough in time for this game. I'm glad. I'm glad that he actually, you know, took that step, that kind of that safety step, because you don't want something disastrous happening where, you know, you have a major injury because of overuse and you're out for it's going to impact you, you know, beyond this transfer window, potentially. So I'm glad that he took that step. And I, I don't know. I just feel like you have to. Give some of these young players minutes. They're going to be the the ones that are more fit and ready to play, you know, during a congested time of the fixture list. So um, I I, I'm kind of torn about like I want to see him for sure. But also I'm just kind of bracing myself for what this team is going to look like when they're in because they are, you know, players that would typically be your reserves or players you don't Mm -hmm. ideally want to see on the field for you. But it is what it is. We talked about Josh Wolf there a second ago. And when we did have two questions from Joel B and Onhef, just kind of asking about Machop. I think we kind of explained our general thoughts on that right now. And hopefully I think we I think we may see him tomorrow, right? At least during this run. I think he may get a run out in the starting eleven. But Joel B did ask, uh, what did you guys think of of Wolf on Saturday? And I think the general consensus was that he was not spectacular. Yeah. He's he was good. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of feel bad for him because I feel like I think I remember him playing as basically a center forward, like a number nine uh, maybe not a hold up player, but as a lone center forward for the twos when he's played with them earlier this season, definitely in a more attacking role, not in a kind of a sitting central midfield role that he was yesterday. So or on Sunday, whenever that Saturday when the game was. So um, I, I kind of feel bad for him that he's being thrust into this position, but he does have some experience. But I don't know. My my expectations are are low, but maybe they can overachieve. You know, maybe they can go above the, above my expectations. Can I say one more thing that bothered me about this game? Was that every time sure. it seemed I'm just I'm just going I'm ranting every time it seemed like Atlanta United put together a decent attacking move going forward where you connect four or five passes, progressing the ball, moving the ball into the final third. The chance always ends up with a cross from the right side. And it's like, oh, this is such a bad quote unquote chance that you've created out of what is a, a, a decent attack move. It's like one of the better attacking moves you've put together. And then it just ends up in this very low percentage uh, cross into Kubo Torres. You know, it's just not, not the way you want to see the ball being delivered into the final third. You want, and Gabriel Hines, I even pointed it out. I was in the, on the uh, post-match press conference, I was reading the quote sheet and he said, um, we are creating some, but we need to create more chances we need to get more through passes. We need to try to beat the last line. And I agree with them there. They, they, they It seems like they are hardly ever putting the ball through the last line of the defenders. I don't think, I think that Gabby understands the problems, right? Yes. Like, I think some people are getting on him for this being so predictive and repetitive, but I, I'm just not sure what the other options are right now, mm-hmm. just based That's on personnel and, and what's going on. Right. Like, I think he understands that the ball needs to be in better positions. I think he understands that the ball doesn't need to be crossed in kind of lazily from the wing 40 times a game. Right. Mm -hmm. I think everyone involved understands that it's just like it's Cuba Torres in team form. Right. Like, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but maybe your body can't do it. Right. And that's just kind of where I think they are right now and uh, i'm not sure if it gets better i'm not sure if it gets better on thursday when they go up to nashville i don't know what time the game is i think it's at eight eastern time seven central they they run on god's time over there in tennessee Central time zone is the best Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing uh yeah i don't know nashville's good 
we, we know this. They came back on us last time. They, they figured out how to do a reverse comeback last week when they scored early in the game and just held on to the lead from there against Philadelphia. So they're coming off a big win there. Uh, yeah. Joe, any particular thoughts other than, uh-oh? No, I mean, Nashville kind of reminds me of um, maybe almost like a better version of Minnesota, like the way in terms of the way that their their mm. club launched, where, you know, more of a slow burn, as we've kind of always made this comparison where Atlanta United was like, make that explosion off the top. Um, they've had more of a slow burn, but they just continue, seems like, to progress and get better and better. And now I think they're one of the better teams, you know, in MLS. And so it's mm-hmm. obviously going to be a huge challenge going up there, especially with, you know, everything we've talked about with where the squad is at. And I want to go back to the point that you were talking about with Gabriel Heinze recognizing the problems in the team. And I totally agree. And I think that that's where it becomes a very interesting exercise trying to figure out when you're trying to like, um, just figure out where the issues in the squad are coming from. It's like a lot of it is down to the quality of the players that are on the field for, for the team. Like when you look at the the team that was out there uh, against Chicago, I don't, you know, I think Chicago's the more talented team that was out there when you just look at the players. So, you know, um, it's hard. It can be hard for the coach because he's got to go out there and answer the questions and, and do all that. He's more, the more public face you see his, anguish on the touchline you know when the team is performing poorly and so that obviously kind of resonates with people but um you know there's lots of issues within the organization within the whole structure of the club obviously when that you know top down from carlos bocanegra and you know his technical director leadership and on down uh that this club needs to sort out to try to make sure that they can use this transfer window to the best of their ability to improve that level of player that's on the field for them I'm going to throw out something here and you can respond to it how you see fit. Gabby understands that the problems are there in a way that Frank did not or would not admit to. Unpack that a little bit more. Keep going. Okay. I think that, I don't know. I, I think people were kept telling Frank there were problems and there were problems and everything like that. And he was more unwilling to concede that to an extent, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or to even agree with that mm-hmm. um, just on a personal level, right? And I think that Gabby understands it more. I think some of the quotes he said have kind of been pulled a little out of context about him, you know, saying I'm not going to change and everything like yeah, that. But yeah. if you kind of go deeper into that, he says, I, I, you know, I'm not going to change my philosophy, but here's what we have to do better within that philosophy. Yes. Right. And I think that's a level of understanding that that maybe Frank never got to. Agree. I definitely agree with that. And I also think okay. that Frank had the better roster. And so like when you're li- when, God, yes. when when Frank is holy crap. Yeah. So uh, you know, when these comparisons get made and everything, it's like Frank was you was still had Nagby and LGP and Tito and like, you know, all these good players that we know and love, right? And they're kind of become yeah. Atlanta United legends, um, most of them at least. So, you know, that is a big difference, especially when you're looking at like comparisons, like, oh, well, Gabriel Heinz is doing worse than DeBoer did in this amount of games or whatever it is. Um, definitely have to take that into account. And so, but I also think that for that reason that, you know, for Frank, it was a lot more of just like, you know, my, my players out there are good and, and, you know, I don't see where the, the issues really are, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you about, about that. Gabriel Heinze is more self-critical, um, and un- understands where this team needs to improve. And again, that's why I, I kind of have some optimism that, you know, he can have some input in this transfer window in, tr- in terms of like, getting in the, the profiles of players they need and, you know, getting profile, getting certain players that aren't helping the team out of the picture. That's going to be a huge part of this transfer window. Having optimism about that does not mean we're absolving him from any criticism. And yeah. I think we'll get into a little bit more 
about the foundation that's being set for this team and everything like that within the question segment. But we, we do understand that there are things that have not been executed well, right? And he's also admitted to this. Like, for example, the the injuries. The injuries are concerning. He, he's doing something very somewhat similar to Tata, right? Where Tata kind of ran folks into the ground during training. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be kind of reflecting within the team as well. Sometimes also you just have bad breaks, right? Like we can't blame it entirely on him. Um, but there are legitimate things to say, but I think it's also fair right now to take the situation as a whole within context and, and really, again, kind of hammer home that year zero thing where this is about creating that foundation. Now we can criticize where that foundation is at right now, currently in the, in the building process. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm with you. I think it's still okay to be a little optimistic. I'd like to just go ahead and read his response uh, that he had when asked about the injury situation. This is Gabriel Heinze, and I'll screw this up because I'm bad at reading. But uh, he said, look, there are some motives. There are different situations with both of them. He's talking about Santiago Sosa and Alan Franco, by the way. He says, it's true that the way I work, this thing could happen, and I'm responsible. But these things take time and understand the way we work. The situation with these two players was totally different. Let me repeat that I'm the only one responsible. I'm not telling you this to take take the responsibility from our players. Let me tell you this because I'm the responsible one for this. Uh, he said in each case was different. Sosa didn't recover from our last game. Franco happened the day before, but I think that, you know, I, I thought it was, uh, it builds credibility in my mind that he is taking mm-hmm. responsibility for, yeah, I think the Alan Franco one specifically is the one where he's like, you know, that that really shouldn't happen, especially when you're already kind of with a, a thinner squad than you would like coming into this game that you, you lose a player the day before. But um, yeah, I wonder if, you know, we, we've been hearing from fans and we've been saying it ourselves that we'd like to see, you know, the manager adapt to certain situations situations whether that's tactically on the field but hopefully he can also adapt to you know the the load that these players are taking on and how that relates to their the training regime regime that he has them doing all right one last piece of business time and remember that the transfer window opens on what's today say tuesday yeah it's tomorrow tuesday. it opens <sighs> opens tomorrow which is wednesday it opens wednesday depending on when you're listening to this so july 7th and and there we go y'all had a lot of questions about that and a whole bunch of other things as well. We'll get to them right after this short break. And before we get back into the show, did just want to shout out once again, our partners at lucid FC for bringing you this episode of five stripe final. They've got a new shop out um, in Buckhead. It's right behind the whole foods there. Uh, the address is 3209 paces, Ferry place Northwest. If you want to write that down or Google it or whatever, but I cannot wait to see what they get done there because I think that that shop is going to be, um, experiential to say the least. These guys are really creative and uh, I think that it will be more than just a, a place to sell clothes. So that will be really cool. But you can obviously also order from them online at lucidfc.us. They've got their new spring summer 2021 collection out now, uh, which you can buy right now online called This is a Modern World. It's really cool stuff. The collection brings nostalgic, psychedelic party nights of the past to the new modern lifestyle. Uh, I've checked it out on on their shop. It looks really cool. The products on this line will be sold exclusively to directly to you on the Lucid FC website. That's where you get it. Uh, they've got unisex sizes from extra small to extra extra large, and the uh, price points from eight dollars to three hundred and eighty dollars. So there's something in there for everybody, uh, and it has just launched, and it's really cool. Definitely would recommend everybody go check out uh, Lucid FC. Dot us and maybe pick up yourself some uh, some modern world clothes. Wow, what a break! What an incredible break! The best break I have never ever heard a break in my entire life like that break. Let's start with these 
two questions that are very, very similar from Palm Tree 23 and Tony, both in the Discord on our Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. And I think they kind of set the tone for where folks are kind of at. And I think it's a good way to kind of start at the top with these questions to set somewhat of a framework for where people's minds are within context of Atlanta United 2021. I'm stalling. I'm stalling if you can't tell. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm just scared of these, but let's do this, I guess. Only way we can do it is face them head on. How long... This is Palm Tree 23, a.k.a. Palmer. How long after the transfer window does Gabby and or Boca get before they're on the hot seat? And then Tony asks, will Boca make it to the end of the season? Joe, I think me and you have gone somewhat on record, I guess, as much as the show can be considered on record <laughs> of anything that Boca will at least last to the end of his contract. Right. Assuming that that contract is as, as reported as and yeah, ends at the end of the season. Yes, mm -hmm. I would. I would expect that. I just don't see the point in making a move before that happens. Um, mm -hmm. As far as the hot seat goes, I think Boca is already on it. Yes. I don't think that's unfair. No. Considering everything. As far as Gabby goes, I am still very firmly in the camp that this is a year zero. And I think the team would agree with that sentiment as well. I am too. I don't think you should ever have a manager. I don't think very rarely should a manager ever be fired, I guess, for this. That's the kind of words we're talking in uh, within a year, like within a, a season of him signing. I just don't think that makes sense. I don't think it makes sense for many reasons financially for the club. Go ahead. Unless. Unless, Unless you are a team coming off a year where you finish second in the supporter shield, you're bringing in multiple talented DPs back. You have a DP coming in who's one of the best players in <laughs> Argentina. You bring back almost an entire roster. You have a loaded academy. You have incredible talent all over the field, and you get goddamn five points from 11 games. Then you get your ass fired. Oh, yeah. oh I, that's uh, a very rare. It takes a very rare individual to be able to achieve such a... <laughs> Someone who may have, in fact, blown several opportunities <laughs> to potentially achieve greater things. Um, look, we had a couple questions uh, kind of in that same mindset yeah. of like Chris Armis got fired. We're also crappy at soccer. What about that? And it's just totally different scenarios. Yeah, it truly, truly is. Yeah. Toronto regressed so, so hard and so, so quickly and lost the locker room and everything that looked similar to how the team regressed in 2020 for Atlanta, right? Mm -hmm. Like when, when Frank lost the locker room and mm -hmm. everything like that, which of course, I mean, he lost the locker room like three months in, but right. still, <laughs> you know, um, at least that team was winning I, to some extent. I am concerned about the locker room, not necessarily that sure. they're going to like start tuning out Gabriel Einze, but I just do worry about the general emotions in that locker room becoming so dour that it just creates a negative vibe and it's players are unhappy because of it. I do worry about that. I, but I don't think that they necessarily lose faith in Gabriel Heinze, at least not yet. Uh, I think that this team understands that they can be so much better and they haven't really had their full complement of pieces yet. You know, when you talk about mm -hmm. Joseph Martinez still recovering from his injury earlier this season um, and, and, you know, all these players that have been missing over the course of it. You know, I just feel like the players probably know that they haven't seen what this team can be at its full potential. But, you know, yeah, there are there definitely are concerns. 
Um, I want to go back to the Boca thing real quick. Uh, I, I just like, you know, I, I think that, you know, again, this is all kind of this whole conversation is predicated on this presumption that the reporting is correct, that his, this is the last year of his contract. You know, I could see the team if that is true and they know they're going to move on from him after the contract. I could see them kind of saying some acknowledging the fact that they're moving on or that we hear about a hire that comes into a high level front office position before he's gone. And I think that that would make a lot of sense. And I think that that's what they honestly tried to do when they hired, you know, Paul McDonough and brought him back into the fold. Mm. And I would say, you know, regarding the Boca out thing, I've, I, I never want to call for somebody's job because I would hate for somebody to do that to me. <laughs> uh, and I want to, like, I'm very aware it's a very difficult job and everything. And I don't think that just because whether it's a manager that should be fired or a, per, a front office personnel, like I don't think that that necessarily means that they're incompetent or whatever. But I think that, you know, in the case of Carlos Bocanegra in this front office, we've seen them be successful when Carlos Bocanegra is focused on, you know, a certain um, set of competencies or a certain set of duties that fit his competencies very well and leave other things to other people who have strengths in those areas. And so we saw the way that Paul McDonough and him were both able to kind of tag team the situation and put together a really good squad and, and, and a really good twos, you know, and all that stuff that goes into, you know, this technical directorship. Recruiting coordinator. Yes. Yes. Carlos Bocanegra. Right. Like that was kind of the way we understood his role initially. Mm -hmm. Right. Was to, to bring in guys who he had connections with and everything like that or, or could talk to other guys who'd been around the league and could convince them to be a part of this project. And clearly that worked to an extent. Right. It's kind of where apparently more uh, responsibility kind of either thrust upon him or, or taken by him, you know, that things started going a little haywire. I, I totally agree with that sentiment for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't know. I, I think Carlos Bocanegra needs more time. I mean, there's, no. a, there's a, <laughs> I, like, again, I, I tweeted this uh, a couple weeks ago or something, but I'll say it again here. Like there is a lot that goes into, you know, running a club from the technical director level that is not related to what you were just talking about and what a lot of fans focus on, which is the recruitment, the signing of players, the selling of players, the squad on the first team roster. There's the whole Atlanta United two setup. There's the Academy setup. There's day to day oversight of, you know, training and fitness and sports science and all this stuff all gets wrapped up in this technical directorship. And I think that Carlos Bocanegra does have a good idea of what he's doing with a lot of these aspects. But I think that just when it comes to, scouting signing players the quality you know evaluating quality from outside the league coming in and maybe from the club you know, the internal scouting that happens within the club i would prefer another voice or another mind come in and, and be able to kind of have input in that let's shift to this next question and it's a fun one to put right after the first set of questions here i think we're gonna shift maybe maybe some minds maybe our tone for a second here logan the shogun ask hot take question is Gabriel Einze a dude? Hmm. And this is an interesting question that I'm not sure we've really kind of do dive, dove in, divin into, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because this was a guy who we on the show have said many times that we thought would be a good fit with this team, that everyone has kind of thought would be a good fit with this team. And it sounds kind of similar to how we talked about PT. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. South American coach um, of the year. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I, I mean, we've been wrong before about uh, talent translating to MLS, right? Is there a chance that we are in a similar scenario 
now? And I think the answer is yes, there's a chance, but I'm not remotely close to willing to put a verdict on that yet. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great question. Uh, I don't know the answer whether Gabriel Heinze is a dude. I will say that, you know, it's something that we were talking about in the Slack uh, before we started the show today. And it's something that I've been thinking about for a while now, uh, which is that, you know, I'm just curious as to how well the the Argentine game, the, the Superliga translates to performance in MLS where things are so different. And it's weird because, you know, my, my prior said that it's a it's a great league because you have Tata Martino that comes from there. Miguel Almiron came in and made a huge impact, was the best player in the league coming from Lanús. Um, but since then, <laughs> um, I, I am just curious as to how well it translates. And when I think back to games that I watch, which is, albeit pretty rarely, I'm not like watching Super League every week. Uh, but, you know, every once in a while when there's a big game, I'll tune it on. And, um, you know, it seems like insane soccer to me. It's like players in one on ones all over the field. There's huge gaps. Um, which makes it, I think, easy for attackers to look good. And I think that that's, you know, when I think about it even more, I start to like unpack the situation. I'm like, well, maybe that's like one of the reasons why it was harder to see Ezekiel Barco's flaws and like the decision making and, um, you know, the struggles that he has in that area, because that's something that wasn't really a pressure point for him when he was at Independiente. At Independiente, he was just on the wing trying shit and you know if it is coming off great if you didn't you know you can easily look good pity we saw we've seen the same thing um but i'm just kind of growing more skeptical as to how well all that stuff translates and now obviously with managers i'm kind of um mm-hmm. also growing concerned as to how well the the ideas that gabriel heinze uh, is bringing to this team translates to mls do you remember when the first coaching search after tata left Came about, and one of the big names was Guillermo Barrascoleta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rings, right. baby. And, and, that was, yeah, that was the, and, and that was like the argument. That was the right? argument, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then he went to the Galaxy and, and was terrible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just didn't didn't cut it. You know. And I don't know. It's interesting as the sample size kind of grows to to see. You know, the if you are an average to above average person in the Superliga, right? It, it doesn't seem like in any capacity you're going to suddenly be the best player in MLS. Like the, the quality of the league has just kind of jumped up that much, I think, and will continue to do so, right? So this is a more difficult exactly. task than, yep. than maybe we assumed in the beginning. And maybe we're correctly uh, correct in assuming that because the league has changed so much since Atlanta United joined, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's progressively gotten better in part thanks to Atlanta United, you know? So I, 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 I think it's I, one a reason that mm-hmm. you see these experienced MLS coaches have success is because they know the league, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. And maybe it takes a while for Gabby to become a dude within that context. I don't think he's a bad manager, right? No, like, I, I don't I, either. I, think, I don't either. I think all the, the stuff we read and all the things we heard and everything like that, and what we watched even from the stuff at Vela's and things like that indicate that this is someone who knows how to get a team to win. But but can they do that in MLS is maybe a different question right now. Um, I think Gabby's a dude still. I'm holding out hope, but I'm not entirely sure. And one of the reasons is partly due to what's asked in this next question from ATL Greg one who says, I honestly want to know was Gabby running the same immense spatial freedom and possession slash man marking on defense system at Vela's. And if so, how the blank is it actually supposed to work? And this is a, a topic we talked about with MLS assist a lot, which is how is this supposed to work? And they went 
I don't think it does, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which isn't great, which isn't great. I think I joked to you privately some time in the recent weeks where I was thinking back to the conversation that we had with uh, Peter Coates uh, at Galazzo Argentino when we talked to him after (laughs) Heinze had been announced. And uh, it's like, really wish you would have mentioned the uh, the whole man marking across the field situation. (laughs) Not that I'm trying to like that interview was really good. And, And honestly, if anyone, everyone should go back and listen to that interview. He talks specifically about the Sosa role. That was like a large mm-hmm. part of our part of our conversation actually was the number five, which is the number that Sosa wears. Uh, unsurprisingly, is like a very key role for Gabriel Heinze. And we've seen mm-hmm. him continue to, you know, he, he used Mo Adams in that same role. He did not deviate from from that. So um, but yeah, the man marking situation is something that I didn't realize was coming with him. Um it wouldn't even bother me so much if we man marked and like created more pressure high up the field. In fact, I would think that that's mm-hmm. something that this team can do better in these in this coming month, especially if you're using young players that have a lot of energy, push them higher up the field. Then you'll create chances for yourself where you don't have to carve out up an opponent, you know, not a tactical genius. I did read inverting the pyramid, hated it, you know, <laughs> but I think the the theory behind it, right, is when you have these man marking principles is that you can create turnovers, right? And then create opportunistic advantage for your team going forward with overloads and with numbers advantages and things like that, that the system allows you to set up in a way that zonal marking does not, right? Correct. But my thought, and you kind of hit on it, is that if you're going to do that, and if you are going to run your players in the ground during training, shouldn't you also be moving higher up the field, pressing people, and contributing to those turnovers in a way instead of just sitting back and letting people dribble right through you right like there should be pressure there there should be consistent pressing there should be maybe not quite red bulls or or hernan lasado ball right but there should be something there that helps create advantages for the team right and that's just not happening right now and they don't look interested in making that happen and it seems like if you have a crappy roster you know, like sometimes the Red Bulls do. There's still a bit of create stuff because they create those turnovers and they play direct. Atlanta has shown none of that. And I don't really understand why. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the I was trying to pull my inverting the pyramid books. I know I have it highlighted in here somewhere. Aha, I just flipped to the page where I have it underlined. Wow. There, here's, a, here's a quote. It says, this is the fundamental. It could be said that the whole history of tactics describes the struggle to achieve the best possible balance of defensive solidity with attacking fluidity. Now, I'm going to use that quote in the context of this pressing situation, which is that Tata Martino seemed relatively fine with putting his players on an island one on one at the back and that the mm-hmm. the what they gained in the press was actually going to at least offset a lot of those issues that they had at the back. And, you know, we talked to Michael Parker's and Jeff Lorenowitz both about this, and they said that that was an adjustment for them. They didn't necessarily prefer it either as the, as the defenders, you're kind of going to be the one that's on the hook. Um, And in a tough situation, you got to do your job there, but the benefits were worth it or Tata Martino. That's the calculation he came, he came to. And I wonder if this team is just a little, maybe too passive in that respect where Gabriel Heinze wants the covering defender, but then that leaves, it makes it so much harder to press effectively uh, when you are just trying to balance that situation. We saw the same mm-hmm. or similar thing with Frank DeBoer, where he want also wanted that cover defender. That's what he said. He wanted to implement Atlanta United. Uh, and we saw them just be less effective with the press. But I would actually say that even Frank DeBoer's team, probably, 
pressed much more effectively than what this team has done so far this season, which is, which uh, is crazy. pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no. And it's something that I understood coming in from everything I had read and then people I had talked to and everything like that is that there was like, if you put them all on a spectrum of Bielsa people, mm-hmm. right. Bielsa obviously at the forefront, at the far end of it, of, of pressing and man marking combined, right. Like really, really working over time. And then Tata would be kind of, on the other end, still that Bielsa principle, but still kind of pressing, but not nearly as much, less man marking, things like that. And Gabby was supposed to be somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. right? And that just hasn't been the case in Atlanta. And I don't know if he just thinks that he doesn't have the guys. I don't know if this just takes time. And it may be that. It may be that it just takes time because one of the concerns we had coming in, and this is our first Teotl football reference. We're going to go ahead and make it now. <laughs> Teotl football was talking about how these Velas teams and other teams he'd been at had progressed slowly. Right. Mm. They progressed really, really slowly. And I'm not sure if that was because of personnel or because of, of tactics. And so it may just be a second. I don't know. Yeah. But right now it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, right. I'm, 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 I'm interested into how well the Bielsa style of soccer is going to translate into this modern era, because when you look at tactics, it's always something comes into vogue, something, you know, and then it, it's just it's cyclical and it goes throughout these different formations and shapes and philosophies and all mm-hmm. that. And I just am curious as to how well it's going to translate because Tata Martino didn't go to Mexico and all and like revert back to uh, what he was doing when he first came to Atlanta United. In fact, if anything, he's kind of continued to adapt the approach that he had in 2018, playing with three center backs, um, you know, and, and, and just being a little bit more, I guess, modern, I guess, in his approach mm-hmm. uh, away from the true you know, pure crystal blue uh, BLC to football. That's a great, that's a great uh, pull there because this next question lines up really nicely with that. It's from Jacob. He asked, as part of Heinz's growth as a manager, do you think he needs to learn to be a bit more flexible and potentially move away from his man marking system? And the answer is probably yes, right? I think everyone needs to learn to be a little bit more flexible, right? Maybe in our daily lives and in our potential coaching lives, if you're out there listening, Gabby. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's probably a part of it, right? I would say I had to learn to do it. You know, I would say, yes, he should be more flexible, but I don't expect that. And the players that we've talked to said, you know, it's like they don't expect him to all of a sudden go away from this. So I think the question is, if you don't go away from the man marking, how do you actually make it effective for you? And it's something we were just talking about earlier is this. Mm-hmm. I think that you can actually be more effective in that system if you are doing it more aggressive. Like you, you got to go kind of all in or or change your approach. And um, again, I understand why it's difficult. I understand why it's difficult mm-hmm. to kind of put yourself in that position because it is, you know, you put you, you definitely are playing on the knife's edge. But, you know, this that's how this team has always played. But then again, this I just go back to like the roster is not as good as it was back in 2017, exactly. 2018. So maybe they wouldn't be capable of playing that way. I don't know. I was kind of processing a take as you were talking about how you have to all you have. It's good to have your principles, right? Like there can always be core tenets of what you're doing and it's good to have that philosophy in place so you can build on it. But you also have to adjust it to your personnel, right? Like if you are a team in college football that runs, (laughs) we're we're playing the hits today. (laughs) Um, If you're a team in college football that runs like a spread offense, right? And your quarterback can't throw the ball, but he's really fast, right? You're going to run a lot of read options, but maybe if you have a quarterback who can throw the ball, but isn't fast, you're gonna, I don't know, throw a lot more like four verts and seam routes and then stuff like that, right? Like you have to tailor it to what the personnel is. And as I was thinking about that really clever and insightful take, I went, wait, what if everyone on the team is bad? (laughs) 
yeah. what kind of system do you run then? Yeah, well, like, what if you had the quarterback difference and your offensive line, you know, they, you, you had five graduating seniors the year before. Right, exactly. So then you're just Florida State. Yeah. So the, the, I, but it's like it doesn't matter what you're working on in practice because you're just getting blown mm-hmm. up off the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And I just generally don't think the – God, I just, we're – we're in our analytical <laughs> purgatory again. I just generally don't think the team is good enough. There we go. Yeah, That's the whole I know. Bit. Exactly. Exactly. That's the whole bit. Um, you, it, I will it, say it kind of goes back to something I was saying at the t- earlier in the show where it's like you can try to rationalize the stuff as much as you can. We can try to go into the <laughs> tactics and everything. But like uh-huh. at the end of the day, if your team, if you know, if the quality of the players aren't as good, it's we wrote it last year. Teodal football uh, and I wrote a piece about Carlos Bocanegra uh, that published last year. And like one of the sections was like, it's not the coach, you know, and at that time we were talking about Stephen Glass um, and like the struggles that the team was having under his interim leadership. But uh, at the end of the day, it's like when you look at the numbers, um, typically that's not a huge driver in moving a team from near the bottom of the table to near the top of the table. The coach can make a difference on the margins and some, you need that help on the margins if you want to win titles. So a coach, a good coach is very, very important. But on the whole, you need a quality roster to be able to make yourself competitive. Move on to this next part from Kojo he says kind of and part of Jacob's question, but Joe has said, oh, he calls you out. Joe has said Boy. he probably didn't say it like that. Joe has said he sees Heinz is higher and approach is like a two year plan. At this point, I'm not sure what the first year has been able to do for foundation purposes. But do you see this year so far as a, su- a successful foundation builder for the next coming season for year two? Or is this year a bust? I think I know the answer, but I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on this as well. Yeah, I know this question is also related to the most important transfer window of the team's history. Good take, Kojo. Good take. Um, man, how much can you build when we have another question here? Okay. Let's yeah. add this in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's add this in. Kurt says top to bottom, there's a lot of subpar to bad in the Atlanta United organization roster. Who do we feel confident that we could build around? Sosa, Joseph, if he gets back to 100%, Miles until he gets sold. Darren, because he's British. Arthur Blank, because he's rich. Um, I say definitely yes to the last two. Yep, exactly. For sure. <laughs> but there, there are pieces, right, that are good. Sosa mm-hmm. is one of them. Miles is one of them. George is one of them. It's all in the back line yeah. right now, right? Yeah. And the only concern with that is, is that a lot of those guys are probably leaving in the next two years, you know? So... What do you build around? Right. I, and I guess uh, Joseph is part of that. Joseph. Joseph is still in the plans. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you do? You do? That's kind of it. I mean, like, honestly, yeah. and I, but I think part of this is the nature of soccer where like in soccer, you just generally see a lot more tone turnover for a couple reasons. One is because unlike a lot of American sports, you have all these competing leagues, which creates like opportunities for different players, both financially and just sporting wise. Um, so you have like a lot, you have a lot more turnover in soccer. So it's not typically like the same kind of um, structure on the roster where you kind of like build around this core, like, you know, the Braves might build around Ronald Cunha Jr. and Ozzy Albies and Freddie Freeman for five, six, seven, eight, you know, however long. Uh, it's mm-hmm. So it's not really like that in soccer so much. But I understand that the, the central thesis of the point is like, what do you kind of establish this club around on the field? And so, yeah, Joseph's clearly it cl- clearly is going to be that guy who's going to be here, I think, for a while. And like where it always gets dark for me is when I start thinking about Miles Robinson and George Bellow. And it's and it's like if you want to revitalize the team and like bring in new players and, and um, give yourself room in the salary budget, you have to get rid of some players. And I think back Mm -hmm. to John Gallagher last year, where it's like, you know, a lot of us were like irritated that the team was willing to offload him. Um, But I think the reasoning that the club would say is because that they, you, 
can only get rid of the players that other teams want and other teams want players who produce or have the potential to produce. And so you have to give a little to, to be able to give yourself an opportunity. And so I, I fear that that's going to be the case with Miles Robinson, and George Bellow. And clearly those guys are kind of on track for, uh, you know, to play at a, at a higher level in Europe. So I, I want mm-hmm. that for them individually as well. But it, I don't it doesn't give me a lot of hope <laughs> for this team. <laughs> Just like when I think about Wait. what could possibly happen down the, down the line. Well, Kurt mentioned building around Arthur Blank because he's rich yeah. and, and that may have to come into play here. That may be where, the biggest one. You know, yeah. the guys who teams don't want, right? Like you, you may have to eat some money on that. And we keep saying that and it's just becoming more and more apparent that that's probably going to have to be the case if they want to get this team back to where it was. And I would say one other thing that you can build around is the twos in the academy, which I think is very good and not like that. That's going to make a it could potentially make a big difference for you on the first team roster. But what it really can do is provide you with essentially a, a large crop of reserve players um, that you have to spend minimal amounts of salary budget on. So um, mm-hmm. that sets you up in good stead and potentially goal, for profit. Right. And the goal there is to be Philadelphia, but with money. Yes. It's yeah, like yeah, when, exactly. It's like when in baseball, like Oakland started doing money ball and then like the Red Sox came in or like, well, we actually have five billion dollars in, in Boston money. Right. And we can also do this, but we can do it better because we have more money. Right. Like that would be the goal for Atlanta mm-hmm. United is to establish that and bring in like 15 different 17 year old midfielders to do bicycle kicks every game because that's apparently Philadelphia's MO right now, but also have the expensive DPs and everything like that that Philadelphia is lacking. So there's a future, right? Like and it seems like the academy setup is good. It seems like the two setup is good. So maybe y'all just hold out for like six more years and we got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crap. Uh, Kurt, let's go back to Kurt here. This is a we can a look forward question. to the Michael Parker's Jeff Lorenowitz testimonial match. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Kurt asked this and this kind of sets the tone. We have one more tone setting question, I think, too, for the transfer window <laughs> questions coming up. But Kurt asked this and it's dark, but it's classic Kurt. What decisions made in the last three years have made this team and organization better? Joe, go. Uh Oh, shoot. Because I was reading the question initially, like, what can they do in the next three years to make this better? <sighs> Do you have any ideas? Well, I think <laughs> they um, Gabby's here. That's good. Yeah, that is good. I mean, I did. I wanted Gabriel Hines. I was very vocal about that. So mm-hmm. um, that was good. Hold on. Let, let, I, I want to keep this because I'm just really thinking. Santa Sosa is good. I think Franco Barr yeah, is good. Yeah. I think. I mean, I think you can point out some signings. I'm trying to think if there's anything like bigger, you know, more on like the foundational level. Um, <laughs> this is bleak. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Oh. Maybe it is just some of those signings, some of those kind of decent players that you've signed. All right. Gosh. I think we've established that we need better players and, and better other things. So let's go to this question from Mark. Who asked I like the, the kit. <laughs> I know okay, I, I, Joe, everyone was wrong about that. So that's cool. <laughs> Mark asks, with the transfer window opening in roughly 24 hours, there's been very little flying around the rumor mill. There must be some rumors as to who is on Atlanta United's radar. Any thoughts on why things are so quiet? And this is good questioning, especially for two um, quotation marks journalists, right? Like we should understand this on some level. And my thought right now is simply that one people are distracted Mm -hmm. who may be interested in dealing with like rumors in South America, right? Because Copa America is going on and everything like that. There are other things to report on than rumors to MLS clubs 
You know, that 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 may be part of it. If a very small part of it. The other part is that the team is just tighter than it used to be, honestly, and, and keeping these leaks in. Yeah, it could be. I, I mean, the club has always been very good about not letting anything leak. I think American clubs mm-hmm. are just generally both in soccer and just kind of oftentimes uh, is, is hard, harder in America. But I will say that I wonder if maybe COVID has an impact in terms of like journalists not being at training grounds, able to have little conversations about things. I, I do wonder if that has any impact on like what kind of information is able to leak. Um, that's all just kind of theoretical. So perhaps. But I mean, mm-hmm. I think clearly we're going to see a pretty busy month for this team it has to be they they have to be busy this month trying to improve this roster and let me build on that let's go to this quote from Gabriel Heinze and kind of translated by Felipe here who was at the the media availability today said Heinze says that Atlanta United is working hard to strengthen the team during the upcoming window there have been deferring opinions naturally but Heinze added that the front office collaboration has been very good so that's encouraging that they at least know they need to do it now whether that's a uh, statement of fact, right? Like that they're actually working on it and like they are moving towards these things is, is yet to be seen. But I think they understand the stakes here. I think everyone involved understands what's going on and there will at least be a push, right? Whether or not that's successful or not, who knows, but there will at least be a push. Definitely. And I would, I, you know, I, I would take it back to a question that I never really answered considering it was kind of, <laughs> I was name checked in it uh, about the whole two year plan. I think that it is important for Gabriel Heinze. If, if, you know, if he's got two years here, this has to be a big moment for the club to improve the opportunity that he'll have uh, to, to achieve what he wants to achieve here in these next couple of years. So um, I, I can imagine that he would be quite urgent in this situation. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Zeke moving out. We had two questions about this. Well, from Tony and the Hidden Jewel. Uh, we'll go to this one from Tony to kind of sum it all up. He says, odds that this was Barco's last game. Again, now he's off to the Olympics with Argentina. He'll be in Tokyo for a second. And my thought is yes. I think that was probably it, which is crazy to think about. And it, it, it dies with all the lack of ceremony it probably deserved, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I would probably put a percent. If I was to put a percentage on it, I would probably say... 85 percent 80 something right yeah, yeah but that was the last game he's played um just kind of run it down if argentina is knocked out before the group stage which is unlikely because they're like clearly one of the two dominant teams in there then he would be back you know in early august uh b- probably before the august 4th match against montreal and the transfer window closes august 5th so that would be i think the only chance he we do see him again um mm-hmm. because i'm just kind of assuming that he is going to go in this window there we go. There we go. We also had a question from Dr. Vote MD. Uh, thank you, doctor, for your question. What MLS veteran should we go after to fill the Parky Larry role? I know we have Goosebys all the way in the goal. We need an outfit to put her on the show in the field. That seems to be the key. Look at what Dax McCarty is doing in Nashville. I, do, I wanted to address this one simply because I just wanted to say that those guys are total outliers, right? Like those are really, really hard to find guys that are still effective that late in their career, like Larry, like Parky, and like Dax as well and frankly i don't think that's the profile of player that lady knight are going to be looking at or need to be looking at right now yeah i think it's gonna be really hard to acquire one of those kinds of players at this point maybe maybe before next season maybe in the off season you could acquire somebody like that but uh it's going to be difficult i will say though that it is something that i was thinking um watching this game this most recent game and just like hearing some of the voices afterwards some of the interviews you know i i just really do feel like this team probably is missing a lot of that kind of the the clubhouse leadership quote unquote um Mm -hmm. i know that sometimes a lot of that stuff gets overplayed at times but i really do think that parkhurst and lorenowitz i mean you call them outliers but like yeah there's just like nothing 
it's really, really hard to find anybody like that um, mm-hmm. that can kind of bring all that veteran experience and know how and and help unite a, a dressing room. So I do think that it is sorely missed what that what those guys brought to this team. Joe, I know you've sorely missed as well. You've sorely missed Rapid Fire, which is happening right now. Pitsy asks, have you been to Disney and what is your favorite ride currently on a family vacation there? I hate that we're starting with this one because my answer is a bummer. You go first. Uh, Well, I can tell you my worst. I've been to both Disneyland and Disney World and on Disneyland on Space Mountain, I hyperventilated. So that's probably my least (laughs) favorite. I also got very, very frightened on Space Mountain. I got claustrophobic. I was not a fan. I did not know what was about to happen to me. Did not have a great time. Uh, My family went to Disney World after uh, my mom died and after my dad got remarried. So I apologize to you, Pity, on whatever parent either died or got remarried. I'm sure your life sucks right now. (laughs) I will say that. Welcome to Disney. I did start to enjoy roller coasters. It just took me several years to get over the uh, hyperventilating experience. I passed out on my first roller coaster ever. It was the one where you stand up at Six Flags. I went over the first turn and don't remember the rest of it. I'm not a big fan of roller coasters. <laughs> Nick asks, how many goals do we have in our last three games if Joseph is on the field? And I genuinely don't think it's too many more, maybe one or two more. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Pitsy uh, ask, can we take up a collection to get a dude? Uh, yeah, like, I don't know, like get some Dave and Buster's tokens together or something like that. <laughs> and maybe we can afford another Kubo. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Smurfy asks, who do I need to bribe to get one of those XG? All the other teams have. Uh, Atlanta's XG is very bad. I don't know if y'all have checked that out. Non-penalty XG, I think, is still second worst in the entire league only Columbus is worse it's like the same as what the team was doing under Stephen Glass last year it's like a pretty consistent half Mm -hmm. a goal to a goal a game um maybe a little bit better but not much I mean it's pretty rough pretty awful pretty awful Philip asks are there any options you see on this team better than running Mo Adams out on the pitch and the answer is no 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 that's what's sad yeah Scott asks more of an MLS as a whole question but what at what point does keeping Bello and Robinson seem plausible and outweigh the benefits of selling that's a really bad rapid fire question i should have put in rapid fire (laughs) (laughs) uh bello and robinson seems plausible not with the benefits of selling yeah yes yes Yes. Carlos we, we talked about it, that earlier, so that's good. Yeah, Carlos asks, is it time to trade everyone for draft picks? You know, trust the process. Um, this should like this should be the team that gets you the <laughs> the draft picks, right? Like we shouldn't be going lower than this. Right, yeah. Is is my take. Uh Pity asks, have you oh, Disney. Sorry, man. I know that's a bummer for you. <laughs> uh Palm Tree <laughs> asks, how can we make these games fun to watch until we get better? The answer is Joe Patrick. Well, I've been thinking about doing something for our patrons where we just like, I'll like start a stream or something and we can somehow watch the game together. I haven't fully figured it out. It's still a half baked idea, but I thought that that might be something a little bit more fun or yeah. even in person sometime. I mean, that would be the most ideal thing would be to do a in-person get together somewhere. We used to have, we had plans once long, long ago that have been put in the dustbin of oh, history yeah. about doing something like that. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do it at some point, but um, for money, but We'll, we'll get in the discord and figure out how we can watch a game together. Unfortunately, with my schedule, it's kind of been weird where uh, I haven't been able rapid to do fire. it so far this season. But before long, we will do that was rapid fire. Joe, you have a whiteboard. You have some things written on that. whiteboard. Oh my I gosh. think this is a good way to close the show.
totally forgot to talk about this. Okay, so I posted on Twitter, so that's good enough. And I did have a mistake on there. I want to correct that for the record on here. I said there was two penalties. One of the penalties should have been erased. It was the Joseph goal um, from near the penalty spot, to be fair, against Miami. Uh, one thing I did note, though, when I started this audit, I went back to the first game or the uh, the early games um, to find, you know, to just start recording the goals. Kevin Egan, he was so much more excited in those first couple of games, especially that first home game, man. I was like, yeah, I'm so excited. And now it's like not the same. Unfortunately, yeah. I hate to see someone as as beautiful as Kevin. Exactly. Just like yeah. that. Yeah, you can just. Mm. <laughs> I got to see Kevin at the uh, the kit launch the other day. I don't know if I told you this, but we got to talk about WWE for a second. It was phenomenal. Nice. I'll tell you off air. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to hear that. All right. All right, y'all. Check out the Patreon again. Felipe going to be on with us later in the week. Thanks for staying with us through a long and rambling show that is is getting more and more depressing as time goes on. And thanks for to, to Felipe for going to the press conference for us today, where we just got to recycle his Felipe. information. Thank you for the content, as always. All right, let's get out of here. We love y'all. Bye.